Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Hey, I tell you what, the only way to prevent earthquakes in my house is when I make sure I wear a bra. Come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> okay. What does that even mean? <laughs> Why are you shaking your bosoms right now? It's an audio medium. You're just showing Marcus and I your hairy boobs. Make you just, slap. Why are you doing this to us? <laughs> I'm just trying to it's look at the I'm trying to get my blood flowing before the show. I want everybody to hear how hard I'm trying to keep the you hear this him is, slap? You're just yes. off mic. Do you just hear him slap? No, you do <laughs> hear them slap. Yes, hear Henry. Slap. Everyone yeah. hears them slap. Man, my tits just keep getting bigger, man. <laughs> I keep trying to make them smaller with exercises, and the exercises just make my breasts bigger. Huh. Yeah, that's the whole point. It's called pectoral muscles. They but grow. They're getting, I'm starting to look like fucking Angelina Jolie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what everyone thinks. All right, welcome to the last podcast on the left. I'm Ben, staring at the beautiful face of Marcus Parks. Hello. And then, of course, we have the recently declared beauty icon, Henry Zabrowski. I'm not saying that they have the same allure. I'm saying that they are beginning to get the same structure. Oh, well, I have no idea. All I know is Angelina Jolie's kids are all grown up. And I saw the the now and then on Instagram. And how did that make you feel, Ben? How did it make you feel? You know, it made me feel like time is real. Aging is a process we're all going through. And I take no joy in that. I actually find those now and then uh, snapshots, side by sides to be quite distressing if you really want to know the truth. Okay. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of great, we are on to part two of Big Herb. (laughs) Herbert Mullen. Herbert Mullen. So when we last left Herbert Mullen, he was two victims into a 13-person, four-month-long kill spree, all Mm. because he believed the murders were preventing California from perishing in a cataclysmic earthquake. Was he wrong? <laughs> I honestly, that's the big question, isn't it? He's absolutely wrong. Yes, California. He hasn't killed in forty, fifty years, and no one has died in a cataclysmic earthquake yet. He did enough. <laughs> Maybe we'll get to it. Now, just one day after Herb killed Mary Gilfoyle and hung her intestines from a tree near the corpse, Ugh. Mullen said that he began receiving messages from his father once again. This time, though, Mullen said that his father was angry that he had killed a stranger and not his father himself, Mm. which Mullen later said was part of a lifelong push from both his parents and his aunt and uncle to cause Mullen's murderous tizzy. 
I tell you what, I put a pool in my parents' house and my father never texts me. <laughs> Not at all. Is this this is a very strange um situation for him that his it's his folks that are telling him psychically. I mean, obviously they're not, but in his head it's his parents that are telling him to kill. It's everybody else but him, Kissel. Yeah. Everybody oh. else is the reason why he killed 13 people. There's so many reasons. They they didn't allow him to have self-fully body-racking orgasms when he was six years old. And uh, they are the problem. Yeah. Or God. You know, it's either or his God. parents or God. God told him to do it. Or it's like, if I don't if I don't kill people, then God's going to start killing people. And oh, do you want to question Ugh. God? And me, at least I'm having fun with my kills. God is going to make a big wave come. You know what I mean? Well, you're you going to hate. To, you're going to hate to swim until you die, Kissel. If I was God, I would be so annoyed with the clerical work because everyone's like, "Kill them all, let God sort them out." And I'm like, "Do I have to sort all oh. these people out? Like, I am exhausted. I am oh. God, and now I have to sort through a series of bodies in Vietnam." Are we about to enter into your pitch for the new ABC sitcom God's Temp? <laughs> I sort him out. Now, how Mullen's next murder unfolded is told differently in the two sources we've used for this series. But the hard fact is that on November 2nd, less than a week after Mary, Mullen stopped off at St. Mary's Church in Los Gatos and murdered a priest. (laughs) Damn, okay. Now, from what the Die Song says... Mullen went to a church after receiving another angry telepathic message from his father. And when he saw a light above the confessional booth indicating that the priest was in, a voice informed him that the priest inside was the next to die. You see, you got to kill the priest, you see, because he doesn't even put the kids to sleep before he gives them the bit of the kiss on the downstairs parts of their body. So his cock still sounds like Bill Cosby? Is that I, what I, we're going with? locked in. Now, what Deadly Voices says, however, is that Herb was going to the church to confess to the murders he'd committed because he hadn't slept for days. He was starting to feel a little bit of guilt. And so Mullen entered the booth, confessed, and felt all that weight leave oh. but perhaps because of the priest's reaction to the confession herb <laughs> which probably wasn't like, very good yikes <laughs> honestly <laughs> the priest <laughs> i'm not gonna victim blame here although you know it is what it is but the priest cannot react that's the whole point of the priest when i had to go to father steve and tell him i was masturbating at 15 years old i saw him get rock hard and i thought that was also a bad reaction on his part <laughs> A true professional priest keeps the boner for afterwards. Yes, they do. Other men priests. Herb immediately began worrying that he'd said too much and that the priest, a former World War II French resistance fighter named Father Henri Tomei, excuse me, Henri Tomei, was going to call the police. Or at least Herb said that's what the voices were telling him. The voices then added, Surprise! Father Henri had just offered himself up as a sacrifice. So murdering Whoa. him, that's going to be killing two birds with one stone. Whoa. That's a sale. That's a stopping <laughs> earthquake for God clearance sale. <laughs> so according to Deadly Voices, Mullen jumped out of the confessional and tackled Father Tomei to the ground. He then beat and kicked the priest repeatedly before stabbing him to death and fleeing the scene. Oof. The Die Song, on the other hand, makes the murder much more cinematic. According to the author of that book, Herb went to the confessional booth and tried opening the priest's side, but found that it was locked. Come on, come on, open up, come on, come on. 
Can you imagine being a priest just sitting in there while you have like a little mulleted maniac just outside just like pulling on the door <laughs> being like, come on, I want to tell you everything that I've done. Come on, buddy. It's also very interesting that the priest has a locked door. Like it knows, like the priest knows that people at any point are going to regret what they told him and want to <laughs> kill him. Now, all Father Tomei had to do was sit and wait it out. But since Tomei, he actually seemed to be one of those priests who were genuinely concerned with the well-being of his parishioners. He was universally loved by everyone. What it seemed about Henri is that Henri was a... There, I think there's there's two types of priests. There's the molest priest, and mm-hmm. then there's the drinking priest. <laughs> right. I think that he was a drinking priest. Okay, and now these are, these are not mutually exclusive, though, I would assume. There is a Venn diagram. Uh, there is a Venn diagram <laughs> that is in the Vatican. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, Father Tomei, like, I mean, he wanted to see what was the matter, so he opened the door. But when he opened the door, according to the die song, Herb plunged the knife into Father Tomei's chest and knocked him back into the confessional booth. Then, as Tomei was trying to stand up, Herb stabbed him in the back of the head leaving the confessional a gore-filled death box. And then you just can cut to the person who goes in there and confesses next, and they're like, yeah, I've really been cheating on my wife. Is that okay? Say nothing if it's fine. <laughs> yes. Great. Great. It's, yes. it's yes. like The Exorcist Three. It really it is. is. <laughs> Herb then left the church, covered in the priest's blood, and drove home, where he cleaned himself off using a garden hose in his parents' backyard. Yeah, don't worry about me. I just dropped a bunch of jam. Yay, all this is freshly made jam. Oh, you want some? Get away from me or I'm going to kill you to stop the earthquake. Yeah, I'm I'm having a Monday. Yeah, all right. It's all good. Big Herb is just showering with the water hose again. No biggie. Now, Herb had left a lot of fingerprints behind at the crime scene. But the problem was that he had no criminal record because although he'd been arrested multiple times for everything from public masturbation to assaulting a cop, he'd never actually been booked on anything. So he's just like a big Marlin that everybody loves to catch once (laughs) and then throw back. Apparently. I mean, that doesn't happen anymore. You get fingerprinted. You get your retina scan. They take it all if you get a parking ticket nowadays. No, he was never booked. He was never charged with anything. They would just throw him in a holding cell and either put a 72 hold on him sometimes. Sometimes they'd turn him over to the custody of his father. But he was never booked or charged with anything. He never went to trial or any on anything for public for fucking assaulting a cop. He never went to. He never got a charge. He's too small to be guilty. <laughs> I guess I'm a, so. The last time I got pulled over by a cop, it was just so crazy because then you know he asked me to come out of the vehicle. I was like, "What's all about?" He's like, "I just want to check to see. I want to scan something." I was like, "Okay." And then he spread open my ass cheeks. This is weird. Yeah, it is. And then weird. he he rubbed it. You know those like grave rubbings, like tombstones. Mm-hmm. So they do yeah. where they put yeah. a piece of paper up against it and then they rub it with a piece of chalk. Yeah. I've got Donner Party gravestones in my office. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he did that to me for a while. On, yeah, on just my butthole, and it came back clear. I guess I got no COVID. Henry, I don't. Well, I'm happy you don't have COVID. I uh, I think you just described the racially motivated arrest in the movie Crash, um, which is oh really God. that was not weird. your story. That is Halle Berry's. Wow. Well, police also didn't connect the murder of Father Tomei to the slaying of Mary Guilfoyle because the body had not yet been discovered in Mary Guilfoyle's case. And they'd already closed the books on Lawrence White because they didn't really give a shit about a dead homeless guy beaten to death on the side of the road. But even outside of the gross indifference to the murder of Lawrence White, 
police were nowhere near close to catching Herb because Herb had no connection to the victims and no witnesses could identify him. Like one person saw him running away at the church, but they're like, I saw a tiny guy running away. That's all I know. Right. These types of crimes, that's what, to me, you know, we've been talking about this last episode. This type of crime is so terrifying because it's so difficult to put together because cops are looking for a motive. Yeah. They're looking for a straight, like a string of logic. They're trying to build a story, right? And create a, a reasons why someone would kill. And that's a lot. That's how they focus a lot of their investigation. The whole point is to figure out a story that they can complete where if a guy doesn't have a story or his story makes no sense and everything right. is not connected, it's very difficult to figure out how to piece together the evidence to say, like, somebody is doing all of this, especially what he's about to do, because he just got started. Yeah. Well, I think the uh, the officers missed a massive opportunity to just arrest all tiny people and figure <laughs> out and then see them scamper. That'll be fun, because yeah. to watch tiny people run is fun, and then to figure out who, who it was. They're going to hate <laughs> me if I'm in there with all of them, because I'm going to get me and my other shorter brethren together and we're gonna sing lollipop guild until they start hitting us <laughs> with the hoofs. well in addition to all that you also have to remember by the time mullen killed father tomei police in santa cruz were also dealing with the rash of co-ed disappearances although police at this point did not know that the three missing girls were dead decapitated and mutilated at the hands of Bumblebutt ed kemper Oh, had to spend more time with him this fucking week. I hate that piece of shit. <laughs> I think Ed Kemper might be actually t- up towards BTK. The more and more I watch of him, really? the more I dislike him intensely. Now, after the murder of the priest, Mullen did try to revert to some semblance of normal life. Trying to get his life back on track, he quit his job and tried joining the Coast Guard, thinking his acceptance was a done deal before he even walked in the door. Guys, I killed a priest for you. (laughs) Welcome to the Coast Guard. Are you Big Herb? (laughs) Not surprisingly, though, Mullen failed the psych evaluation immediately and was rejected. You know how crazy you have to be to fail at the Coast Guard? They are the craziest motherfuckers of all time. They get no respect. They don't really do anything other than saving a massive amount of lives. But for the most part, you're just getting hammered on a boat. I think that this would be the perfect job when it comes to, like, service that he could have done. I respect our Coast Guard, and I, I don't do want too. them to turn against us. Yeah, our buddy Jim Toos is a Coast Guard uh, cadet. Yes, he is. Great comedian. He did great. And then Herbert Mullen went in there, and you know he's sitting there. He's like, listen, listen, listen. I got a pitch for you guys. You guys have all these guns and all these bombs. What if I told you? If we use those against everybody, we'd stop a hur- stop an earthquake. Listen to me. Well, hear yes. me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. You take your guns, uh-huh. start killing us, me yeah. included. Right? <laughs> me too, but guys, honestly, get me first. We got to stop this earthquake, and we're gonna. It takes a village. It really does, Big Herb. <laughs> You're onto something. Well, he failed the Coast Guard psych evaluation, ah. but he passed the Marine psych evaluation with flying colors. They gave him the same. He did the same pitch, and they're like, interesting. <laughs> Wait a second. Is it like a reverse psych evaluation where they want you if you're crazier? How did he fail at the Coast Guard and get into the Marines? Two different mindsets. Two different mindsets. Very different mindsets. Well, Marines. scary. I remember I saw recently a sign for Marines that says like, you know, it takes commitment. Like it does. It's something I get about commitment. And then if there's one thing that Herbert Mullen was and also should have been is committed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Marines, it's what makes the grass grow. Blood, blood, blood. What are the co- what does the Coast Guard have? They don't have anything like that. 
Row, row, row. Yeah, yeah. Bubbly, bubbly, bubbly. All day on the salt. Bubbly, bubbly, <laughs> yeah. bubbly. Just me and my friend Walt. And Walt's just got a big old tub of chili. Yeah. He's just like, ah, oh, we're giving it to everybody today. It's chili day at the Coast Guard. We're giving it to everybody. Oh, my God. I can't believe it's chili day today on the boat. But did you ever notice that we never brought beans aboard? I wonder how he makes the chili. Anyway, I got to go shit. <laughs> But yeah, his enlistment with the Marines, that also fell apart, but only through a hitch of bureaucracy. Hmm. See, the Marines were ready and willing to take Mullen, even with his arrest record. But Herb argued that he'd never done anything wrong. So he refused to sign a piece of paper acknowledging his past crimes. (laughs) Yes, I did them, but there was nothing wrong with what I did. So I refused to sign this. That's actually, again, they should have said that. They should have said me like, this is a real American. <laughs> that does make a great, great Marine. Yeah. <laughs> Vietnam? When was that? <laughs> it's now, buddy. We're oh, in the middle now? of it. Oh, my. <laughs> Instead, Mullen went back to dropping acid and reading Albert Einstein biographies. And after perusing a passage in a book called Einstein on Peace, extolling the virtues of gun ownership in Scandinavia, Herb went out and bought his first gun which he would use to commit his next murder. His actual validation was that he said when he was reading this stuff about how everyone in Scandinavia like, got, had a gun. And he's yeah. like, I'm part Scandinavian. <laughs> I need a gun. It's <laughs> literally so- what he said. <laughs> Albert Einstein, the guy with his tongue hanging out, being like, like funny, he was the one who encouraged the murder Many murders in this case? He was already dead. <laughs> he was long dead. No, I know he was dead. already dead, but that's the problem, and this is the risk we take, Marcus, writing your books. They live forever. Yes. So you don't know when he, you're going to inspire massacres. It, it wasn't by Einstein. It was a biography on Einstein. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with <laughs> Einstein. He's never read anything. But I was reading a lot of Robert Anton Wilson, and they say those that control symbols control us. So remember that, that we have our time sequential version of our brains. We, we can actually time travel using our words and ideas. Hmm. I have no idea what you mean. Ooh, I love Toyota. Look at that. Ooh, I'm wearing my wonderful <laughs> swoosh Nikes. <laughs> yeah, I don't I actually believe in symbols. I don't trust <laughs> Yeah, Reebok. I don't believe in uh, symbols. Meanwhile, I just spent three minutes checking the J's I bought last night in a fit of retail therapy. And I went through just to make sure that I could see the spaced out fingers on the Jordan label to make sure that the shoes were real. <laughs> <laughs> so, you are, that's an indictment of your overall character <laughs> I got problems <laughs> When late January 1973 Herb got into a knockdown drag out with his dad And moved to an apartment near Cabrillo College See when Mullen was with his parents And under supervision He'd take his meds Which kept those pesky murder voices at bay But on his own Mullen decided acid was more fun than medication Absolutely. (laughs) I get it. And he began hearing voices once more commanding him to commit another murder. This time, the voices targeted Mullen's old acquaintance, Jim Gianera. Now, if you'll remember, Mullen blamed most of his mental health issues not on his schizophrenia, but rather on his drug abuse. And that makes a kind of sideways sense from the perspective of acceptance. See, if the problem was drug abuse, the Mullen could always blame all his problems on someone or something else. And he could keep it's just the drugs in his back pocket while also continuing to do the drugs. 
But if he accepted that his mental illness was the real source of his problems, then the responsibility fell to himself to seek treatment and care, which is a very difficult and scary thing to accept. When I talk to my therapist about my own anxiety, I explain about how when I have a very acute anxiety attack, it feels very concrete and real, right? It feels like it, whatever it is that is the worst thing that I'm thinking of, it's absolutely real and it's coming for me and there's no way that I can see my way around it. It takes time to see around it. And thankfully, I am not as mentally ill as Herbert Mullen. So I can eventually see that I am being irrational. Yeah, you think you could get into the Marines? <laughs> no, you I think you could want... be accepted by the Marines? The only way, the Marines would just see me and be like, what a great cover for other guys. He, he would absorb so many bullets. Like, I would. that's all I would be. I would be a distraction. I'd actually be very good at that. But Herbert Mullen's mental illness was so thick. And so intense, like this type of schizophrenia, that he, that was just his base. His base is that he was riddled with voices and visions. And he, and they appeared entirely concrete. So in, if you start chasing the logic down, Herbert Mullen thought that that was all real life. And that God was talking to him and all these voices were just straight up real. And it was just like, like having Don Knotts as your landlord. It's just a silly <laughs> thing you got to deal with every once in a while. But the drugs was something that he was doing on top of it. And that's why when he started feeling bad, he was just like, it's the drugs. I really should stop some of the acid. Yeah. Right. And for everyone who's not 58 years old, that was a threes company reference <laughs> uh, by Henry Zabrowski. Don Knotts was indeed the landlord of, uh, a, I believe, a cast which two of three are dead. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but come on, so great. You, but it can still make you happy. Come and knock yep. on my door. Come on. Come and knock on my door. <laughs> do that. You do that now and find a bullet in your head. I'm technically the Suzanne Summers of our three's company. <laughs> I'm Susan Summers. Yeah. Kissel is uh you're Jack Tripper. Hey, all right. You're Jack Tripper and Wow, Marcus and is actually a little upset. I saw that on dog his face. He wants sexy, to be Jack. You don't think that you're not the you don't think you're the sexy brunette? I know I'm the sexy, <laughs> sensible brunette. I know that. I know oh that. Oh my god. Oh my goodness. There's something wrong with the plumbing. I wonder if you could go fix that for me. I'm a man, sure, but I don't know what to do, sexy lady friend. Nurse! <laughs> yeah, Kessel, you get over it. Darren, I'll just sit here and jump in place. <laughs> Oh, what's that? Don Knotts is here. He just shot himself on our front steps. <laughs> what an episode. Well, since treatment, care, and discipline was the much more difficult option for Herbert Mullen, he took the easy road of blame and decided that Jim Gianera had set all of this in motion because Jim was the first guy who had sold Mullen weed. And Jim had somehow, quote-unquote, tricked him into using it. He also made him, he, he made Herbert Mullen be a conscientious objector to Vietnam. Like, he made him do it, which was the reason why his father, Herb's father, could never fully accept Herb because Herb was like, I don't believe in the Vietnam War, but yeah. I do believe that God wants me to kill everyone. And then he just ran, ran away. But his father was just like, I just wish he'd become a barber. <laughs> Some kind of manly job. And the other, the interesting thing about uh, Herb Mullen hated hippies. He hated hippies. He'd push them. He literally would attack them if he saw them. Yeah. Wait a second. So he's, the, well, now I kind of like him again, but that's a whole different <laughs> thing. The hippies are great people in theory, but then once you really get, once you have to hang out with them, it's yeah. a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a, a lot. Thing. But he must have enjoyed the counterculture. 
I mean, the guy was taking a bunch of acid, smoking a bunch of weed. I mean, he has all the uh, he has all of the the accoutrements of that of a uh, of yeah. a revolutionary. Yeah, I would say the big thing you'd say, yeah, uh, Herb was inconsistent. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> okay, all right. So, for the grave offense of selling Herb a little pot, Jim Gianera had to die. But the murder of Jim Gianera would ripple out to become the deadliest and most tragic spree of Herbert Mullins' rampage. Man, I can't imagine just waking up one day and deciding to kill who was the first person to ever give me weed. <laughs> right. I thank him. I actually should send him a card, honestly. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a great idea to just publicly shout out the name of someone who sold you illicit drugs, maybe who lives in a state that where it's not legal. This seven, that was 17. <laughs> 20 years ago. Yeah. This is a different millennium. Don't sell Henry drugs. <laughs> no, I'm will let the world know. No, I'm, we'll beep I know. it. I'll be, we'll beep it. Okay. Gonna, you're going to go down like Takashi 6 9 <laughs> No, I ain't, I ain't no flip. I ain't no flip. <laughs> so on January 25th, 1973, Herbert Mullen woke up to hear a voice telling him that today was the day to kill Jim Gianera. So Herb drove over to Jim's house with the express purpose of doing just that. Problem was, Jim didn't live in that house anymore. Instead, a woman named Kathy Francis opened the door. Kathy was married to Bob Francis, who sold a little weed with Jim Gianera. And Kathy was all alone that day with her nine- and four-year-old sons. After much coaxing, Herb finally convinced Kathy to tell him where Jim lived now. And after getting the directions, Herb drove over to where Jim was living with his wife, Joan, and ordered a murder, whoever happened to be there. He had that sort of mystical leaning, because now he's a true missionary killer. So he is in full missionary mode. He believes that every single thing that is being done is being directed explicitly by God. So now that he is in motion, much like Richard Chase, when he would go... And we'd go to a house like we talk about his why they got the nickname Vampire of Sacramento was because he would not enter a house without permission. It was this weird little thing, this like validation point that he had. Well, wasn't to it achieve. if the doors were unlocked? He was like, then I was meant to go in or something like yes, that. Yes, yeah. they, they were inviting me. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of those moments where God directed him straight to Jim Gianera's house. But Jim wasn't living there anymore. But God doesn't just bring you someplace for no reason in the mind of Herb. As we'll see. Don't you think that Richard Chase would have killed the family, though? Don't you think Richard Chase would have just gutted that poor woman and her children? Hold. Hold, please. Hold, please. Got it. <laughs> Herb knocked on Jim's door at 10 a.m., and when Jim opened up, Herb remembered saying, quote, I am really pissed about the time I've been wasting. That's how he opened it. Now, Jim was a little confused because he hadn't seen Herb for about two years at that point. And he told Herb he didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. And when his phone began to ring, Jim said, I'll be right back, and left Herb at the door. But when Jim returned from the back room after his call, he found Herbert Mullen standing in his living room. Wormy, creepy dude you haven't seen in fucking two years, right? The guy that you spent a lot of time in high school that you watched yourself deteriorate over the years. You know that Herb, and now Herb's got a little bit of a reputation, even within the community, of being 
a little loosey-goosey, right? He is an unpredictable human being that has, like, this is the guy, they all saw him do the five tabs of acid and then sit there for a second and go, like, I'm actually still pretty hungry, and then eat another five tabs of acid. Like, they, he knows. So he just shows up at your house mid-conversation. Not You have no fucking clue what the hell he's talking about. And then you go, like, I got to take a phone call. And you come in, and now this dude is just pacing around your house. Yeah. Damn. So done with all the bullshit, Jim finally asked Herb, what the fuck do you want? What are you doing here? And Herb responded by screaming, quote, You're clap-trapping me! He then pulled out his revolver and shot Jim in the arm as Jim tried to run away. Herb pulled the trigger again and hit Jim in the elbow. And Jim, still trying to stay alive, grabbed a plastic milk jug, threw it at Herb, and blindly charged. But Herb was too quick and shot Jim in the chest. Now suffering from three serious gunshot wounds, Jim tried crawling upstairs to his wife, and Herb led him. Once Jim was in sight of Joan, Herb walked up, shot Jim in the head, and Joan in the chest. He then pulled out a hunting knife and stabbed Jim's lifeless body 35 times as Joan presumably watched. After finishing with Jim, Herb went over to Joan and stabbed her in the back. Finally, he rolled her over, shot her three times in the neck, and fired a single bullet into her left eye. He then picked up the shell casings and left when the phone began ringing once again. Now, she was in the shower, not knowing what was going on. And then you just hear this report. I mean, it's one of those things that is a true, this is one of those like true nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. Now, surprisingly, no one called police to report the five gunshots which meant that the Gianeras weren't found until a couple of dudes came over to buy weed later that night. Oh, man, I'm fucking, <laughs> I'm nothing but stems, man. Jim, dude, what's fucking, oh, no, dude. I should have fucking done anything else with my life, man. Hey, Steve, does this mean we're not going to get the weed, man? <laughs> yeah, Doobie. Damn it. Yeah, Doobie. Damn it. I should have been a fucking sailor, man, like my dad said I should Damn. But as soon as Herb left, he realized that he'd left witnesses. As soon as the news broke about the murder of the Gianeras, the woman he talked to earlier, Kathy Francis, was sure to report that Herb had asked her all about Jim that same morning. Damn it, man. It's like you came to me. I didn't want to be a witness. You knocked on my door. Can you please just leave me alone? And so Herb followed the voices that he said were trying to keep him out of jail so he could continue the mission. Yes, you see, I'm your lawyer now, you Uh, see. You got to go tie up loose ends because it's important not to keep them. That's what the real version of me did and caused me to die in jail. (laughs) You know, it's really interesting, um, Cosby Cock. uh, I'm happy to talk to you again, but where's Ted Cockle, a.k.a. Ted Cockle? I'm here. Thankfully, I am down near the peaceful balls, (laughs) where the only thing we do is plan our next excretion. No, dear, dear, dear friend of mine. (laughs) Ted Koppel, the semen spinner. (laughs) So, Herb drove back over to Kathy Francis' house and knocked on the door about an hour after killing the Gianeras. When Kathy opened the door, there was Herb, holding his revolver and asking her if he could have a couple of words as her two kids played in the living room behind her. 
Before she even finished saying the word yes, Herb started firing. The first shot hit Kathy in the chest. The next hit her in the head, killing her. And before the kids even knew what was going on, Herb shot them too, hitting four-year-old Damon in the left eye and nine-year-old David in the forehead. Then, for good measure, he stabbed all three of them repeatedly before again picking up the shell casings and leaving. The whole bloody business had taken less than a minute, and Herb Mullen once again drove off, having killed five people in an hour and leaving not a single clue behind. Damn. Or at least that was Herb Mullen's perception of the murder spree, as it was written in the Die Song. Like the Father Tomei murder, the account in Deadly Voices is entirely different, and I think I know why. See, the Die Song was written in 1980, just seven years after the murders took place, and the author was Donald Lund, the psychiatrist who examined and interviewed Herb Mullen. That means that he probably took Herb Mullen at his word when it came to how the murders went down. Deadly- well, he also had to just drag shit out of Herb Mullen. Yeah. Like, it took a while. If, if you listen to that, like, he had to gain his trust. It took a really long time for him to open up on anything. But at this, I feel like, you know, Marcus's explanation, I think, is dead on. But he was uh, a little bit of a mess. Yeah. So Herbert was not, like, thrilled to tell his story, which seems interesting if he really does believe he stopped an earthquake and saved a bunch of people. Don't you think he would be like, I did it! And you should be grateful. He liked talking about the theory behind the murders. He didn't like talking about the murders themselves. Okay. He was constantly trying to distance himself because okay. it was this whole thing of I had to. Uh, and it's the same concept of people kill in the military and they get awards. I'm killing people here and I have sure. to go to jail. It's yeah. like when you snap into a great cheddar bratwurst. You <laughs> love the bratwurst, but the idea of how it was made, I don't want to get into that right now. I'm trying to eat. Tell you what, I'll watch videos of bratwurst and sausages and hot dogs get made all day, and they actually make me very hungry. <laughs> yeah, but that's because you've tra- trained your brain to be perverted. <laughs> well, as opposed to the die song, Deadly Voices, the other source, was written in 2015 and most likely reconstructed the murders using both Mullen's accounts and forensic reports that outlined where the bodies were found and what condition they were in post-mortem. Just like they did with the Richard Chase murders. Like, you know, people, we had to look at uh, autopsy reports, we had to look at crime scene reports in order to reconstruct what happened because Richard Chase was not capable of telling us what the fuck happened. Yeah. Right. And okay, so where are we at now then? How many murders has he committed? We have the five. Eight. He has committed a total of eight. And how long? And he gets to a number 13. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so we're about halfway through. Mm-hmm. Well, when it comes to this case, for example, the Francis family murder, Deadly Voices has an entirely different account of how it went down. And it ain't four eagle eye shots in less than a minute, like the account that I just told. Instead, that account says that Herb pushed his way in and grabbed Kathy Francis by the arm, but she was able to wrench free. The author could infer this because the autopsy report probably noted a bruise on her arm consistent with forceful action, telling a story. We also know that she got free and tried running away because Herb shot her in the back and delivered the killing shot to the back of the head. We also know that Herb didn't just immediately shoot the two kids, and we know this based on where the bodies were found. 
When their mother was shot, the kids ran upstairs to their room and hid underneath their bunk bed. That's where Herb found them and shot them both, because he couldn't risk leaving any witnesses alive, no matter how young they were. I mean, two different stories, both fucking terrifying in their own way, but entirely different. Entirely different, but I also wonder, in his mind, because I know that he definitely, the witnesses was one chunk of it, Yeah, but he truly was... It, uh, more than any other type of serial killer, like he, his goal was to kill thousands. Yeah, and that this was just supposed to be the very beginning. So in his mind, and this is fucked up to say, he was looking to get people in groups so that he would build his numbers, like it was like Cuphead. Well, yeah, I mean, I think they're both absolutely horrifying, but the latter does make more sense, right? Yes. When it comes to the stories, I mean, the kids, I would understand that they would run away and, and hide under the bunk beds and all that. Wait, how is it like Cuphead? Do you get points in Cuphead? <laughs> I don't know what the fuck <laughs> Cuphead is. It's a highly difficult side-scrolling video game. That's... I was looking at it. <laughs> Cuphead is what derailed you, Marcus? <laughs> I didn't understand. I love Cuphead. I, I fucking love that game, but I didn't understand. You get points. <laughs> what the hell is Cuphead? <laughs> It's a video game. We were talking about two children that were just murdered under a bunk bed, and somehow Cuphead and your a- anger over Henry's analogy using Cuphead is the thing that's making you upset? Yeah, it's the European version of Cuphead, where you kill as many people as possible to keep the earthquake from happening to beautiful, beautiful Budapest, Hungary. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends, and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with Horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on 
hand-smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time, because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me, to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hi, did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Well, no matter how the murders happen. The only I thing thought you were going to talk about Cuphead again, Marcus. <laughs> I was like, no matter how you play Cuphead. I can talk about Cuphead a lot. It's a great game. Okay. But, right. but no matter how these murders happen, the only thing cops knew was that the victims at both the Francis house and the Gianera house most likely knew the murderer or murderers because there was no sign of forced entry at either crime scene. But because both the Gianera and Francis families were known to deal a little weed, and since police had finally discovered the dismembered remains of one of Ed Kemper's victims, so there was all that to deal with, they wrote off these murders as a drug deal gone bad, because it was easier. Oh my god, just, it's weed. It's so jokey, it's so dumb, because they literally were... It's the lightest, like... Vague version of Humboldt County trading, like it was, it was, it was not weed deals. They just were kind of selling chunks of weed to each other to yeah. other people that they knew. None of them right. had guns. Like it was a they four were, and a nine year old though. A four and a nine year old are dead, and they're like, "Oh, that's that's the weed dealer for you." They thought that both Jim Gianera and Bob Francis had pissed off some big dealer, and in retaliation, had killed both of their families. It's nice when you just get to make up shit, and then you're just like, we don't have to do our job today. <laughs> Good work, everybody. Good work. And the high fives all around. They get one guy they don't like to touch, so they give him an IOU for a high five. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's better than a high five. <laughs> the only survivor out of all this was Bob Francis, Kathy's husband. But he had no reason whatsoever to bring up Herbert Mullen. Because as far as he knew, Mullen was just a wacky acquaintance of Jim's who had disappeared from Jim's life years earlier. 
The last check on your wacky acquaintances. <laughs> this yes, is a good indeed. time during quarantine. This is a good time to check on your wacky acquaintances and make sure that you are not on their hit list, like Steve Buscemi in um, what's his putts? Billy Madison. Billy, Billy Madison. Madison yes. One of the greatest <laughs> references that we make regularly here on the show. Um, and if you are currently sharpening a knife, making your own arrows like Bo Jackson, but you're not Bo Jackson, stop. Stop. <laughs> stop sharpening knives. If you're doing that right now, stop. Look out the window. Birds. <laughs> Isn't that a reason to live? Isn't that amazing that they can fly and they sing? Isn't that a nice reason to, to love life? Well, the last time Jim or Bob had seen Herb was 1971, when they watched him do 10 hits of acid in one sitting. And the last time Jim had contact was an erratic letter Herb had sent asking Jim who he was going to vote for. I actually have to know, what are the political leanings of uh, Big Herb? He was very liberal. See? See? <laughs> I don't know why I said see. I would have said see if you would have Whoever said anything. Whoever was. Yeah, if see? I said anything. No, but Herb Mullen, is, he's a bicon. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, as far as suspects went, the only people Bob Francis could think of that might have been capable of killing two families in one day were a couple of guys from Sacramento named Bucky and Lucky. <laughs> but, of course, Bucky and Lucky were innocent of at least this crime. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mostly what we do is uh, I siphon gas out of ice cream <laughs> yeah, trucks. Yeah, yeah. I, it's mean, my, I like doing that so the ice cream trucks have to stay parked and the kids, <laughs> they don't get any fucking ice cream. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bucky and Lucky sound like two guys who can't get within 100 yards of a water park, and we don't know why, but that's just the rule that yeah. have been uh, And any been man named Lucky must have at least two or three missing fingers <laughs> and an <laughs> eye patch. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Herb Mullen was still wandering the Santa Cruz area, waiting for the right excuse to kill again. And less than two weeks after he annihilated two families, he found it in a murder spree that rivaled his day of family annihilation. Mm. On February 7th, Herb was gathering firewood in Henry Cowell State Park when a forest ranger stopped him and told him that what Herb was doing is against the rules and you gotta put all that wood back. Yeah, he's just stealing wood from the forest. <laughs> yeah, but it's there for free. This is wood no, from the wait, forest. It's not, I mean, it's still not Can free. You, it's, you can't just go pillage the forest. I don't know. You ever you, walk in another man's footsteps? Have you ever seen the warm colors of the earth? Have you ever looked at all the wonders that surround you and ever wondered what they're worth? Have you ever know the... Is there a price on the color of the wind? <laughs> no, the, first of all, wind doesn't have a color. Second of all, no, you can't just go to a national park or a state park and steal all the wood. It's not stealing if there's no ownership. You know, it's interesting is I thought these opinions would be switched between the two of you. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just, you can't do it. I mean, the wood is there. You have to use that when you're camping. And then you imagine if you're camping and then we're like, who took all the wood? That, that's, I'm, I'm only with her because her, this guy comes here. Hey, you got to pull his wood back. He's like, uh, I didn't happen to see Mr. Forest Ranger written on all of these logs that <laughs> they belong to you. Or it's oh, let a me state see. park right above Maybe the damn thing. One of these logs say it belongs to Maurice the Squirrel. Did he write his fucking name on him? Spoken like a man who grew up in a home that stole cable. <laughs> so after staring at the forest ranger for an uncomfortable amount of time, saying nothing, Herb threw a hissy fit and started jerking the wood out of his car and hurling it back into the woods from whence it came. 
Yeah, sure. Why don't I give the beavers back their beaver money? All right, here we go. Uh, everybody tells me I'm crazy. Oh, Herb, you're crazy. Meanwhile, you're telling me I can't go to a forest full of wood and just take some for in order for me to burn a bunch of bodies. I mean, if you are Big Herb, it is kind of strange. You didn't currently get in any trouble for murdering eight people, and this is what you're getting in trouble for? Like, this is where authorities have drawn the line on what's appropriate? Why don't you go help a bear stop people from setting fires, okay? The next day, Herb was walking the trails in that same park when he came upon a group of four teenagers just having a good time in the forest. But since, you know, they were kids, they were drinking, and they were being maybe a little bit too messy, you know, it wasn't the cleanest campsite. But to Herb, this was an obvious infraction of the same sorts of rules he'd been chastised for the day previous. Oh my God. So they're going to fucking tell me. (laughs) So I got to take all my logs that I spent almost 15 minutes gathering, (laughs) and I had to put them back. And these kids over there can maybe put a bunch of beer cans just on the ground? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's what triggered this? Well, this seemingly incongruous application of park rules incensed Herb to the point where he essentially turned into a real-life Jason Voorhees, if Jason was more concerned with littering laws than getting revenge on camp counselors. You just pitched a movie. <laughs> yeah. An I think eco-friendly the- Jason Voorhees. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And the funny thing is when he's grabbing somebody and throwing them against a tree and making their brain splatter on a branch, he can say, reduce, reuse, recycle. (laughs) And that'll be a great, great little thing. Jason Voorhees was concerned with littering, though. Was he? He was concerned. Yes, absolutely. Jason Voorhees wanted a clean camp. (laughs) It was his camp. That's his home. That's his home. So the boys, ages 15 to 19, had built a makeshift cabin, and suddenly they were faced with Herbert Mullen standing in the doorway of their innocent little retreat. He told them that he was a park ranger, the camp was government property, they couldn't camp here, and they had to leave. Yeah, you're going to have to leave, all right? Because you guys built a little cabin on top of Maurice the Squirrel's apartment building. <laughs> and isn't his little apartment building the most precious little place where squirrels live and have a place to sleep before going to their squirrel work (laughs) as little squirrel accountants. Thank you, Big Herb. (laughs) You shut up, Maurice. I'm not talking to you right now. Honk, honk. (laughs) (laughs) The boys, not surprisingly, told this wild-eyed hippie with a tattoo that said eagle-eyes marijuana to fuck off. (laughs) Like, you're not a fucking park ranger. Get out of here. And when Herb saw that the boys were in possession of a rifle, he walked away. But, from what he said, the voices wouldn't let the boys live. Herb turned back and claimed to have spoken to each camper telepathically, asking if he could kill them. Supposedly, they said, that's okay, we know we have to die, and we're prepared for the sacrifice. Go ahead. So, Herb walked back to the makeshift cabin, opened the door, and shot all four of them with his revolver before they had a chance to react. None were killed in the opening assault, but one stayed conscious and had to watch as Herb calmly finished off the rest and finally shot the survivor in the head. If if a wild-eyed man comes to your cabin, be nice to him. Like, I'm not saying you got to. I'm not blaming these people. Absolutely not. There was nothing to do. That's the worst advice. Punch him. Immediately knock him out. (laughs) Lean into crazy is what I've discovered in my years. 
is lean into crazy, listen to crazy, say, oh my God, you're right. You're right. We got to do something about this. Let me Uber you to where you got to go. <laughs> uh-huh. Do you think that this is you projecting Natalie and yours relationship? And do you think that Natalie is going to be happy with you saying lean into crazy? That's why she <laughs> married me. Yeah. She brought crazy closer. Yeah. To keep an eye on. Ah, uh, you're the crazy one. That makes more sense. Yeah. You don't marry Henry Zabrowski without knowing that things are going to get a little unpredictable. Whoa. <laughs> we make love. <laughs> okay, great. Well, after killing the four boys, he picked up the rifle he'd seen earlier, took $21 out of the boys' wallets, and walked away once more, leaving the four bodies to be found days later. After the discovery of that crime scene, police also found the body of Mary Guilfoyle, finally, three months after she'd been killed. Cops found Mary's disemboweled corpse in the Santa Cruz Hills, although they erroneously attributed the gruesome slaying to the co-ed killer. He had wildly changed M.O.'s. Yeah. So they were found, they were finding a bunch of bodies that had been heavily dismembered okay. by Bumblebutt. Right. And they just assumed it was another one of his at this time period. But- so that body at this point, three months later, that must have been like basically a skeleton. I mean, if I'm, I would imagine it was probably pretty uh, destroyed by wild animals at that yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. It didn't look good. Damn. Yeah, yeah it's not going to make the cover of GQ. <laughs> Honestly, though, it, it very well might make the cover of GQ. It very well might. Why do you say that? Because they love putting gruesome stuff on the covers. Don't you know that? Not GQ so much, but Rolling Stone does. <laughs> and so does National Enquirer. And believe it or not, 2021 GQ is just going to be nothing but corpses. Because that's <laughs> they're going to lean in to the true crime thing. And obviously they're going to be late. They're going to be late to the true crime wave because it's Always. already starting to crest. Yeah, But they will start just putting up nonstop footage of death. Yeah, it's just gonna be. It's gonna turn to gross quarterly. <laughs> yeah, exactly for gentlemen. But when Ed Kemper turned himself in just days after Mary Gilfoyle's body was found, police were both surprised and terrified to discover they had not one but two serial killers with a penchant for mutilation on the loose. Because oh they God. thought when Ed Kemper turned himself in, like, oh, shit, this is great. Like, all of these murders are solved. They're all going to stop. But, you know, Ed right. Kemper was extremely open with everything. He knew all these details about these other murders. But all the shit that Herb Mullen has done, he's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. It's not me. You guys got a problem. That guy sounds crazy. <laughs> that guy sounds real freaking nuts, guys. Thankfully, though, Herbert Mullen's rampage was nearly at an end although he sadly had to kill one more person in broad daylight right next to his car before police finally caught up to him. On February 13th, Herbert said he was loading firewood into his car when he heard his father telepathically telling him not to come home until he'd killed someone. Dad, I don't want your life. (laughs) (laughs) But the voices also said, like, we'd prefer it if you killed your Uncle Enos. That would be Uh, best. But Uncle Enos won't even show me his ball. <laughs> He's just like yelling this in the middle of a fight. I've been there. I've been this type of self-muttering yep. person. 
And for those that don't know that dated reference, that was Varsity Blues, <laughs> a great film. Uh, there was a big actor named, I think his name was Big Piggy or something like that. Yeah. And then there was a woman who was covered in whipped cream. Whipped cream. Yep. Was it, yes, was it Casper Van Dien? He was in Starship Troopers. James Van Der Beek. Yeah, James Van A wonderful actor, James Van Der Beek. Yes, indeed. Yes. Uh, they won the game. Don't want to ruin it for you. You're ruining the game. <laughs> they did, they the did win the big game. I actually don't know if they did. But in a move that tells you that maybe Herb was a little more in control than he let on, he resisted the order to kill Uncle Enos until the voices relented and said, just kill somebody, anybody, doesn't matter who, but you can't come home until you do. And that's why I wrote my book called The Art of the Deal. It's <laughs> Herbert Mullins' Art of the Deal, not to be connected to the president's book, Art of the Deal. It's my thing. It's all about push, push, push. Don't settle, don't settle, don't settle. And then eventually you get to kill somebody that isn't your Uncle Enos, even though he won't let you fuck his wife in order to put a baby in her. <laughs> so this is the uncle he showed up naked to, right? Yeah. Like this is the they were all nude. But how did he disagree with himself? He just argued. Why would he I don't want to kill him. But he's arguing with himself. I yeah. don't understand. Yeah. He's like, but why did he why did the suggestion even come in then? Because he's fucking crazy. He's schizophrenic. Uh, he's a crazy person. There's oh, no okay. logic at work when it comes the only there there is a strange logic when it comes to schizophrenia. There's a it, it's it often schizophrenics make connections where none exist, but when it comes to rational logic, there really is none. Okay. They you just because you go chase it and chase it and chase it. There's you won't get to the bottom of it. He has an interior logic. It's like tripping balls or a dream where you have a base and he is hearing these voices. Like it's not like a thought. It's not your mind's voice. No, he's sitting and hearing audible things that sound like they're coming from outside of his body that are talking at him. So he thinks he's negotiating essentially with God. Oh, okay. Or the voice in his dick and balls, but the voice, and they all were all different. They were all different things. Yeah. Yes, indeed. All right, strange. So Herb grabbed the rifle he'd stolen from the campers out of his car and saw seventy-two-year-old Fred Perez weeding in his front yard. Mullen aimed and, with one shot to the heart, killed the World War One veteran before getting back into his car. You can't kill a guy when he's gardening. Nope. Let the guy garden. But instead of driving away immediately, Herb just sat there. And by the time he snapped out of it and drove off, a neighbor had already called in descriptions of both the car and the driver, as well as the license plate number and the direction the car was going. Herb was soon pulled over and arrested without incident. And so began the interrogation of Herb Mullen, who at this point was only in the clink for the murder of Fred Perez. But going off the fact that Herb had murdered a man for seemingly no reason, they started cross-referencing the weapons found in Herb's car with unsolved murders. Pretty soon, they connected Herb's revolver to the murders of the Gianneras, the Francis family, and the dead campers, and his fingerprints were matched to those found at the murder of Father Tomei. When the interrogation got even further, though, police discovered an absolutely terrifying inner world. I mean, sure... Mullen discussed his belief that the murders he committed prevented earthquakes, but there was a much deeper lore at work there. See, Mullen, by this point, had come to think of murder as a natural disaster that man had erroneously made illegal, and making murder illegal was no more effective at stopping it than making, say, earthquakes illegal would stop those. I think earthquakes should be illegal. <laughs> he sounds He sounds like the... like. 
18th most successful candidate for libertarian for president. <laughs> like, he sounds like I can already see, like, he, Vermin Supreme, who is genius, just being like, murder should be legal. And then there would be some people being like, He's got it's a about point. freedom. He's got it's a point. About yeah, and it's just, point. It just that's when you get to the point where yeah, Maurice the squirrel is your he's in charge of the in, the interior. He's the secretary <laughs> of the interior and this 711 cup is my vice president. <laughs> <laughs> but Mullen said that he could stop major natural disasters like earthquakes by committing minor natural disasters, which is how he referred to murder. He said murder is a minor natural disaster. And when Donald Lund asked why Herb should be locked up if murder was natural and had a good effect, this is what Herb said. Your laws. <laughs> you see, the thing is, people get together, say, in the White House. People like to sing the die song. You know, people like to sing the die song. They do that. If I am president of my class when I graduate from high school, I can tell two, possibly three, young homo sapiens to die. I can sing that song to them, and they'll have to kill themselves or be killed. An automobile accident, a knifing, a gunshot wound. You ask me why this is? You ask me why this is? And I say, well, they have to do that in order to protect the ground from an earthquake because all of the other people in the community have been dying all year long. And my class, we have to chip in, so to speak, to the darkness. We have to die also. And people would rather sing the die song than murder. And when Lund asked him what the die song was, Mullen said this. Just that. I'm telling you to die. I'm telling you to kill yourself. Or be killed so that my continent will not fall off into the ocean. You see, it's all based on reincarnation. This dies to protect my strata. And he said all of this with the utmost confidence. Well, Mr. Mullen, if you met my wife, you'd know death would be a courtesy. <laughs> <laughs> I get you. I get you, buddy. So uh, should I gutter? Won't you pull the guts out and, and put them all over a bunch of trees like Christmas ornaments? Seriously, sir, could you? <laughs> Well, let's just talk to a judge and make murder not a crime anymore so I can get out. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins as soon as I wake up and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors big and small some people are presidents some people are soldiers some people have to eat mayonnaise especially with hard-boiled eggs which is what I eat for lunch but I guess I should share that in therapy because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash last pod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash last pod. Ah, Jules. 
Oh, Jules, make a wife smile today. The road to getting engaged can be long and full of memories and pitfalls and landmines. Or it can be short and thrilling, like a roller coaster on the way to the police department. But the road to finding the perfect engagement ring is a straightforward path every time. All you've got to do is head over to BlueNile.com and they're going to ship them rocks straight to your wife's new fingers. On BlueNile.com, you can create a bigger, more brilliant piece than you can imagine. At a price you won't find at a traditional jeweler, Blue Nile is the original online jeweler since 1999. That's present time to me. Their diamond price guarantee means that in most cases, they can meet or beat a competitor's price on a comparable diamond. I know when I got my wife a beautiful Blue Nile necklace, the first thing she did was, what did you do? But afterwards, she was so happy to have it and she loved it and she wore it when we went on vacation and my own did everybody come around being like where'd you get that piece you beautiful woman and I was like stop talking to my wife she's spoken for you can see it with the blue Nile bling she's got on her right now get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more with code lastpodcast at bluenile.com that's $50 off with code lastpodcast at bluenile.com bluenile.com One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. See, Mullen's belief in the die song actually had a biblical basis, specifically to the story of Jonah and the whale. In that Old Testament story, if you don't know it, God calls on Jonah to be a prophet, but Jonah refuses and instead goes on a sea voyage with a bunch of sailors. Let me tell you the story here. So Jonah fucks the whale, right? So Jonah's well, on whale. top of it. It's humping, humping. And that's where whales got their holes. That's the that's the old Aesop's fable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of animals that got their holes by getting fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because Jonah refused prophethood, went on a sea voyage... God sent a storm to kill Jonah as punishment. And the sailors, surmising that Jonah's refusal of God is going to kill them all because God doesn't really care who he hurts in pursuit of punishment, they throw Jonah overboard. And then, of course, he's, you know, swallowed by the fish. The and then the fish, and then it's the fish Yeah, and for three days, and then which the fish is not accurate, vomits him back is, up. I mean, how would you even live in it? It doesn't make any sense. I hate that story, and I got in trouble when I was eight years old for being like, how would you live inside of a whale? And then they, they yelled at me. But it's true. You can't live inside of a whale. It's all blubber, and it, the, the, the toxins alone will kill you. 
I hated growing up in religious households. I hated religion. It's so stupid. It doesn't make sense. It's just hard, Kissel, because it's weird to see you grasping for logic. You know what I mean? (laughs) You're grasping for it, and you're digging for it, and you're looking for it. It's really important to you. I get that. I'm with you on that. Um, There's just not... It never gets to the bottom layer. Yeah. You know what I mean? What is even, what's the parable? I don't even understand the parable of Jonah and the whale. The parable is do what God tells you to do or else God is going to make your life fucking terrible. Yep. And he's going to and make a whale eat you. Yeah. But you have to learn to like the punishment because that's God's lesson. And God's lesson should be held sacred no matter what. That's like the whole Job shit where he's thankful to be uh, constantly harassed by an evil and vengeful God. But... Herbert Moen's interpretation of the story of Jonah and the whale was that Jonah actually chose to go overboard, thereby Mm. saving everyone else. Mm. Extrapolating from that viewpoint, Mullen said this. Picture two guys standing together in the bilge after Jonah jumps over, after the storm's all over, right? Two guys are standing there, smoking their pipes, after the danger has passed, and they say, you know... I bet if Jonah hadn't have killed himself, God would have killed all of us. And they get to town, and they go to a bar, and they tell the people about Jonah, and they say, we think Jonah saved our life by committing suicide. And the people at the bar, they say, well, maybe that will help us. So they go out, and they get somebody, right? So the story goes, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. Jeez. Okay, what an accurate interpretation of the Bible. (laughs) Strangely nailed it. So, the die song notwithstanding, the cops took the mountain of evidence they had on Herbert Mullen and charged him with 13 counts of murder. But like Ted Bundy, Herbert Mullen chose to represent himself in court. (laughs) He really tried, and it does sound like if you cast Martin Short as a defense attorney. (laughs) So what if I'm my uh, what if I'm my own client, the defense attorney, and all the jurors? <laughs> Does that work? Unlike Ted Bundy, though, Herbert Mullen had no idea what he was doing. So the judge appointed him public defender James Jackson, who had already represented family killer John Lindley Frazier and would later represent Ed Kemper. This guy had a hell of a resume. I mean, it's, it's all the same. What's fucked up is that it's all the same neighborhood. And then I'm also reading, watching uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, and it's also very close to the same neighbor. It's just this beautiful that's part Golden of California S- that's just The ravaged. Golden State Killer duck, right? Yeah. Now, when the state went to judge competency, Mullen was obviously diagnosed as schizophrenic. But when it comes to pleading not guilty by reason of insanity, the question is not whether the person is mentally ill. Instead, the only question, according to the Monoton Rule, is whether or not the defendant knew what they were doing was wrong and illegal when they did it. Question. What if I just forgot that it was wrong? <laughs> that Can works. I just forget? Can I just get a mulligan on it? Because murder shouldn't even be illegal. You're trying to, you're trampling on my rights. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the, mul- what is it, mulligan? The, the, what Monoton. Was the- the monoton, monoton rule. Yeah, the monoton rule is also when you uh, mandates cheese on mashed potatoes. Do it. Finish it. Finish it. Finish the bit. Finish it. You have to put cheese on mashed potatoes. I am That not. is great. We wake up earlier here in the West Coast. Um, so, sorry. 
So, based on the evidence, the judge declared Herbert legally sane for the murders of the Gianneras, the Francis family, the Campers, and Fred Lopez, but not competent for the first three murders of White, Guilfoyle, and Tomei. Why? They, the other crimes, you could see that he actively tried to cover them up. Like, he tried to, he had pre, he premeditated, and he hid evidence. It showed okay. that he knew that there was right and wrong, where the other crimes were so crazy, very intense, and all over the place in terms of brutality, that they were like, this is when he was in some form of psychotic rage. I feel a little bit bad for the uh, for the family members of those first three. I mean, I understand he's still going to oh, yes. go away forever, but that kind of stings a little bit, I would assume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But while Herbert Mullen was on trial... Ed Kemper was waiting for his to begin, and the two were held in the same prison in adjoining cells, as we said last episode. Not surprisingly, they fucking hated each other. Oh, re- I, oh my God. I watched a clip. Ed Kemper talked about Herbert Mullen for like 15 minutes in his 1991 interview with this like French reporter. Once it, like, because at this point, Interest in Ed Kemper, but 1991 had already really dipped. The, the true crime wave wouldn't happen again until like 20 years later. Right. So he was not, it was not as interesting to people, but he spoke for a long while about, as he called him, Herbie. Herbie. Because he said that him and Herbie had a natural, that Herbie naturally hated him because the small hate the big. <laughs> Well, that is in another point in the show where I have to agree with a sociopath. The small do hate the big, and that's why they've made a bunch of ridiculous rules that keep us from killing the <laughs> Oh, now it's you've got full her mullen libertarian. <laughs> and now Come it's on. time for my vice president, this 7-Eleven cup, to speak on guns. <laughs> I love them. Well, from what Kemper said... Herbie had a habit of singing and bothering people while everyone else was trying to watch TV. So Ed would throw water on Herb to shut him up. The way to describe Ed Kemper's breakdown of this is disgusting. I I fucking hate him. But Ed Kemper said that there were time periods, much like Ted Bundy, who worked for a suicide hotline. He worked, from what I remember, he did work a uh, psychiatrist's office. Like he was doing stuff with like a therapist's office for a while. Very similar to Ted Bundy because he was trying to get as close to the cops as possible because he was a cop groupie. Yeah. And he loved, n- n- he believed himself to be a master manipulator and that he was smarter than fucking everybody else. And so what he wanted to do was learn about human nature. What he said in his own mind was to help him understand himself. But he eventually used these tools to try to, hurt people like he he put the idea of trying to get a not just a physical mastery of people but a psychological mastery of people so with herbert mullen he was like i needed to create a body a, i needed to create a uh behavior modification system with him yeah and i was going to do this i was going to learn how to do this so he set up a system where their way their jail cells were separated they were next to each other but they couldn't see each other herbert mm. was really mad that he got bumped from the main, there was a main cell that could be seen from the front office that everybody, so people could wave at you or like do this kind of stuff. And Ed Kemper lorded over this space, basically being like, I love being in cell number one. (laughs) All right. The, The prison politics in this case are something interesting. It's, it's annoying. 
Herbert Mullen was dropped to number two, which made him really mad. So he'd sing all night. So what he'd start to do realize is like, so what I have to do is punish him when he's being bad, and I need to reward him when he's being good. But I can't really see him. So Ed Kemper enlisted another member of the the one of the other prisoners on the other side that could see where Herbert Mullen was. We'll call was. it the Bumblebutt Militia. <laughs> there is the, the Bumblebutt Militia went and they he would position himself within his own cell where Ed Kemper could see to see where Herbert Mullen was hiding inside of his cell so that Ed Kemper could reach around and splash him with water like by sticking his hand through the bars <laughs> and getting him through his bars. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost adorable in its yeah. weird ridiculousness. And, of course, it's it's diabolical as well. Oh, wait, you hear this. I mean, you want to talk adorable. When Herb was, in Kemper's words, a good boy, he'd give him peanuts because, quote, Herbie liked peanuts. <laughs> That's adorkable, and I stand by it. If someone calls you adorkable, <laughs> you can stab him. And the way he said it's because, you know, Herbie, because it's jail. So you have to, he would give him these little, he got this packet of, like, salted peanuts, a whole bag of little packets of salted peanuts, and he'd give him one, and he'd be like, Okay, Herb, how you doing on those peanuts? And he's just like, I got some left. I'm saving them. I'm saving them for myself. And you hear him like eat, crunch, 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 crunch. And he's like, you just keep eating on them, buddy, because I got a whole bag of them. And he's like, wee wee. Oh, my <laughs> God. Just straight up. And he did. He trained him. Yeah. He trained Herbie. Yeah. And pretty soon, Herb was asking Kemper permission to sing. So we have 13 murders on Mullen's side, and how many murders on Kemper? What did he take down? How many folks eight. did he... Eight? I think eight, including, I think eight, including his grandparents. So we've got 21 murders combined, and these people are working on training via peanuts? <laughs> okay. He became an elephant trainer. Now, Herb's trial went about as bad as you'd expect, especially when he demanded to take the stand. <laughs> I want to see this. Once there, he stood the entire time and called himself the designated leader of his generation. And it was I'm the guy. You're the guy? <laughs> My best friend Maurice the Squirrel, this 7-Eleven cup, the Bill Cosby voice that lives in my dick. We are telling all of you what you need to do. Damn. All right, Bill O'Reilly. We got you. <laughs> <laughs> he said that it was his responsibility to get enough people to commit suicide and or consent to murder every day or else the whole fucking state was going to fall into the ocean. Yep. Okay. And when he was cross-examined, he said on the stand that his victims consented to murder telepathically and that all homo sapiens communicate telepathically, but it isn't talked about because telepathy isn't socially accepted. Telepathy is socially rude. And that's why no one's talking about it because... No one wants to understand how often everybody's thinking about everybody's naked. All right? So you tell me, you ask me what I know about people asking me to kill them, and I'll tell you everything that you need to know because it's the only thing you need to know when you're on a need-to-know basis. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Mullen, don't want to blow your dick off here, but uh, is it possible telepathy, telepathy is not talked about because it's uh, telepathy? Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. You're the smartest lawyer I've ever met. <laughs> yeah. The whole point would be that you don't talk about it. It would not be talking. There would be no need to talk about telepathy if it would be, it's, tele, it's telepathy. I bet if I kill you, you're worth like five lawyers. God will love that. Uh, if you could kill me, that'd be great. I hate being a public defender. I hate you. I hate Ed Kemper. Um, I hate the entire community. I only got this because my father demanded I become a lawyer. And uh, I haven't had an erection in 10 years. 
I feel like there's a whole generation of people that were all forced into jobs that they didn't want to do while everybody else was just listening to music in a field. <laughs> like in the 1960s, everybody, all the cool people were just having a nice time yep. and everybody else had to like be forced to keep the country running or go work and do all this stuff. That must have been a massive bummer. But ultimately, the jury was swayed by the extensive measures Herbert Mullen took to prevent capture. You know, he sanded down the bat... Uh, after he murdered Lawrence White, he gathered up the shells at the GNR and Francis crime scenes. And hell, even the Francis murder was specifically to prevent witnesses from telling on him. Mm-hmm. Really, the only thing that made the courtroom say whoa was all the instances of the number 13. Yes, weird. It's, it's super weird. It's wee wee weird. See, Mullen had come to think of himself as the 13th disciple. Because after all... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thirteenth disciple of the crooked god. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Mullen, I do have to say, you do kind of rock. Because <laughs> after all, I mean, he's supposed to be doing this to appease God. And going off his beliefs in numerology, he believed that this claim had stacked up. He'd committed his first murder on October 13th, his last murder on February 13th, and in the end, Mullen had 13 victims. He would hold on to this, you know, like, you know, schizophrenics making connections where none exist. He would hold on to this. It's like, this is proof that I am right. Did he do that on purpose or was that just happenstance? It just total happenstance. Okay. Yeah. It was a happy accident. Oh, that's one way to put it. Okay. (laughs) Even his lawyer brought up the number in his closing arguments, albeit for completely different reasons. The lawyer said, quote, oh, God, (laughs) Herbert killed. Because he has to, but he doesn't know why. I suggest that a person who kills 13 people and doesn't know why is mad. But the jury didn't buy it. Because, as we know, American juries have only bought the insanity defense when it comes to serial killers once. And that was in the very special case of Ed Gein. He's a very special guy. And I think that he was mostly... He got that because of, like, his weird... It's something about how you present yourself in court, too, where it's just Ed Gein's sleepy smile and his farmer's (laughs) hat on, like, waving at people, going like, oh, this is a nice table. Oh, look at this. I'd take three people to make this table. This is a nice one. And they have to just be like, okay, Ed, stop. Stop looking at all of the furniture and deciding how many bartenders it would take to make these. That is the power of Wisconsin charm. No, they just relate to it. It's like, you know, this is good apple pie, but it'd be a lot better with a slice of cheddar cheese on top. You know what I'm saying. Meanwhile, he had his fucking dick through his mother's vagina that had been dried out for years. Just just hang it out. Meanwhile, like at the same time, Ed's apple pie recipe is pretty delicious. <laughs> pretty, pretty good. With Mullen, he was found guilty of two counts of first degree murder because he had premeditatively killed Jim Gianera and Kathy Francis. But he was guilty of second degree murder for all the others because those had all been spontaneous. When Mullen was finally taken away to prison, he had no remorse whatsoever, only saying that he was glad it was all over because that meant he could finally get away from Ed Kemper. <laughs> he just wanted what? to get away from his horrible roommate. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only... That's what I... That's, 
All I, he I'm, said. I'm sort of happy he was that annoyed. I'm kind of happy he was that angry. <laughs> Legitimately, if you put me in a jail cell like next to him, I would just confess and just be like, just get me away from him. Just get me the no. fuck away from him. I'm sick of hearing about how brilliant he thinks he is. Okay, how was Ed Kemper more aggravating than a schizophrenic who killed 13 people? And I'm not defending <laughs> Ed. I'm just wondering how he was more aggravating. It's a superpower. He got to be more annoying than Herbert Mullen, who I think is probably up there in terms of annoying serial killers. And today, Herbert Mullen is still alive. He was denied parole in 2006 after taking no responsibility for his crimes. He was he up still, for parole. <laughs> he was up for parole because no. he didn't. He went to prison. He didn't go to a mental health facility. He went to fucking prison. Yeah. And Kemper w- was up for parole in 2017. And he said, no thanks, I don't want to leave. Yep. But Mullen still blamed his parents. And he felt that the state should be publicly chastising his parents for telepathically pushing him into murder. Would it hurt, though? <laughs> I, I feel bad for his parents. I really do. But since 2006, he has changed his tune. And you can read all his apologies on his website that was last updated in October of last year. It's called HerbertWilliamMullen.org. And you can read all his apologies uh, in addition to his newfound religion, worshiping what he calls the God of America. Should have gone with BigHerb420.com. <laughs> it is truly out of school. Um, he is now saying I'm sorry a lot. I love this rehabilitation attitude. I believe I have a positive attitude. I accept responsibility for the crime spree. I am sorrowful and remorseful for having committed the crimes. I'm determined to live my life free of crime and criminal thinking. Hey, <laughs> you're in that. prison. I look forward to parole and planning on a, being on a good just, and planning on being a good member of society. I look forward to participating in organizations to help the community exist in a healthier, more worthwhile way. I honestly believe that I have a positive and worthwhile attitude. <laughs> this is, but he keeps saying I'm sorry, so this is huge. But is is he sorry? Well, he only started saying I'm sorry after the whole my parents uh, pushed me into murder thing didn't work at his last parole hearing. Uh, so this and, is all horseshit. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that the uh, his cock's still talking to him. He yeah. didn't stop being schizophrenic just because he was in prison. Uh, he did, however, get a job as a prison janitor. And See? he does that in between his numerous psychotic breaks. And he's up for parole in February of next year, so fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed. Tentative. It still says tentative on the website. From from one, January 1st, 1967 until my arrest on February 13th, 1973, I was a naive, gullible, and immature, undifferentiated schizophrenia, experiencing nonverbal cognition syndrome with myself as I missed the point about growing up, maturing, moving away from home and parents, making a living in the world, and gathering and managing my own fortune. Now, 41 and a half years in prison, I am a mature, competent, efficient, an effective gentleman scholar. <laughs> you know, I'm happy that he has changed a little bit, I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's tough to say. He seems, uh, yeah, whatever. He still blames drugs and alcohol. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. he should probably just be a prison janitor. One thing we didn't cover, though, is that Herbert Mullen was also a sometime songwriter, or yeah. at least a lyricist. And if the two of you would allow me, I'd like to play a recording of my own personal interpretation of a Herbert Mullen song called The Switcheroo. Now, I want y'all's honest opinion of this. Let me <laughs> let me know what you think. This is just this is just me having fun. You know okay. what? I just had fun with it. So you made this, Marcus? I did this. Yeah, this okay. is me. All... Yeah, this is, is, this is all me, yeah. <laughs> Two, three, four. He showed me everything, but I didn't see. He knew I didn't see, and he told me not to look. 
he wasn't very gentle, and he wasn't very kind. And when he wants something, he's really, he's really mine. You're scared too, I guess, so you light up like a horny puss. But it probably ain't true. I need you to. I don't know why. It was always there, but never really gelled. So it's high, 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 singing glory on the wind. Yes, it's true in Gloryland. They're coming through and through. One time only, friend. Happened to me too. The quirk is so true. When my time is through, the only survivor will be no, not him. <gasps> not me. Uh, switcheroo. 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 You know. I understand why you share a similar mental illness to Daniel Johnston. That is really, there is something in that, Marcus. That is really compelling. I, you did a great job, buddy. That was really yeah, good. Thank you very much. Right on yeah. the money. It's exactly how I imagined he would sing it. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds you, have a, you have a very, um, uh, you, I get comfortable with your singing voice very fast. Oh, thank you very much. That That's actually... That's a very good compliment. Thank you. No, you are very. It's nice to hear. It's easy on the ears. What a fucking story. Yeah. What a story. Oh, my God. That was insane. Herbert Mullen, folks. That was. I cannot believe this man was not more well known. Uh, this is like one of those serial killers that was that was full of surprises. Absolutely insane. And it's the fact that he's still alive kind of makes it um, scary. Makes it yeah. scarier. It's something about those old dudes that are still around. David Berkowitz is still around. Yeah. Um, they, he's still, you know, BTK is still alive. Ugh. They're all just hanging out. Ed Kemper's still alive. Yeah, Ed Kemper's alive. Piece of shit. They're all the worst. It's all the worst ones. <laughs> it really <laughs> is. Of, why do I miss Charles Manson? You know what, man? I, I watched a gre- the uh, what it's called an unsound mind. It's about it's a documentary about Charles Manson from the perspective of him being a musician. I watched it last night. Like, man, it's like yeah, it's for some reason having Charles Manson in the world. I don't know why it made things a little bit better, but it did. Well, he didn't actually kill anyone. He just uh, well, he know, did at least one. He might have done one. We don't know what he, I I'm I will never absolve him. No, Charles Manson no, is not an no. innocent man. He is a bad person and a villain, but. Yeah, he was just—he's just a patch of the American quilt is gone. <laughs> All right, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this series. Herbert Mullen, Big Herb, absolutely insane, unbelievable story. This week on the LPN show, I have to mention we have Daniela Panetta. She is uh, chatting with me. She's in Jurassic World. She is going to be Faye Valentine in the upcoming Netflix series Cowboy Bebop. It's gonna be huge, which is like huge. huge. And uh, she's filming a whole bunch of stuff. She's she's just an awesome person, and I loved speaking with her. So check out the LPN show this week, and of course all the other shows here. Yeah, buddy. And if you want to help support all the other shows and us, check out lastpodcastmerch.com. Go look at our new pre-order for a fan art shirt. I Woo! love this shit. This is it's our hellish rebuke shirt that was created by Alexandra Runyon her on her her Instagram is uh, Alayalto which is A L L A Y A L T O 
it is i think it's fun as hell um and help yes, us support indeed. go check out her work go check out the the, the website and it's it's so cool to have such talented fans absolutely hellish rebuke to 2020 and also don't forget to go check out no dogs in space part one of the cramps is out so you can go find that wherever podcasts are available and thank you i also want to bring up the patreon and if you really if you give to the patreon we've been doing this new discord thing that the kids do where you get to sit oh, with us right? this is what the children do and we're doing what the children do. I like to play. Are you texting with minors? <laughs> no, I would never text a minor. I don't want them to have my phone number because then they abuse it. I w- but we'll be on Discord. I think I'll be on there today. And we're going to do once a month. All of us, one of us hosts the Discord chat. So you'd be able to sit there yes. while we are there captive to whatever your whims are. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for supporting our Patreon. Uh, we have a uh, an interview out, I believe, uh, that just came out recently this week, and we just absolutely love doing the chit-chat with all the people of the paranormal and horror community. Um, all right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you're doing as well as you possibly can be in these interesting times. Never forget, hail yourselves! Hail Satan! Hail, hail Geen! Magoostalations, everybody! Hail me! And hey, um, killing people's not going to stop the earthquake. I'm going to say this not to you right stop. now if you're feeling that. It's not going to stop the earthquake. Nope. But you know what could? Magnets. <laughs> Magnets and gain some weight. Hold hands. Keep the earth flat. I agree. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not.